Friday, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernall-Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Fried Okra is a weekly podcast where we get together to talk about public education issues in Oklahoma. We hope you'll join us every Friday. All right, well, we are going to start off with our first guest, uh, Tori Shoecraft is the president of Oklahoma City American Federation of Teachers, Local 2309. Good morning. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yes. Well, we wanted, it's, you know, our one of the best holidays is coming up, Monday, Labor Day. So we thought that we would chat with our um, partners at AFT. Uh, let's just Let's just kick it off. Like, first, tell us about yourself, um, how you decided to first become a member of um, an education organization and kind of where you went from there. Right. Um, so for anyone that hasn't met me, I'm Tori Shoecraft, and I taught in Oklahoma City um, public schools for seven years, and I have always been a union member and a member of AFT because they bargained the contract for right. Oklahoma right. City teachers. But um, my mom is actually a building rep and has always been really involved in OEA in her district. And so going into it, I just, I knew I had to be part of a union. I didn't need someone to ask me. I just, I knew that. But that's not everyone's case. So um, I I had experience going in. Um, I've always been involved. I've um, really thought that it really... Just having our union is just like it's supporting who's supporting us. So it's just yeah. important to always support them. Um, I taught for seven years, and then actually during the walkout is what. And like I said, I've always been active, but mm-hmm. during the walkout is really what engaged me and inspired me to think, "Wow, I can do more." Yes, at my own school, I can do so much for my kindergartners, but if I can really like make a difference for teachers and students um, all over the district, yeah. I I think I need to take that, that road. So um, that really, the walkout inspired me, and I began working for the union um, in the fall, right after the walkout. Mm-hmm. Two years later, now I am the first Black president of the local, and um, it's working during, obviously, a very different time, but yeah. I'm very fortunate to be here. So let's t- let's touch on that quickly. Yeah. Um, as the first black president of um, your local, first of all, I mean, we're still having these kinds of firsts in, in the year 2020. 2020. Um, right. What is talk about the significance of that? What um, what does that mean for you? What does that mean for your members? I see it's so significant. It's significant for my five-year-old daughter, even. Absolutely. Who can, yep. Right. Can, who can look up to this. And also, on an even grander scale, the fact that 2020 is the first time we've had a Black VP presidential or Democratic VP nominee. So, mm-hmm. um, Black women. So, it it's really, it's saddening that we are still having these firsts. Um, but I, I think it's important that people are seeing that it's possible yeah. and it, it wouldn't be possible without working together and trying to make progress for good. Um, it is, it's very significant. 
we, we talk all the time about how important it is for our students to see themselves in the educators and the mm-hmm. leaders of the world mm-hmm. in, you know, in every career option uh, and in books, in the curriculum. It's important that right. that our kids see themselves yep. as um, as potential leaders um, in, in Oklahoma and beyond. And we deserve a seat at the table. Yes. Women, blacks, everyone, anyone. So we, everyone deserves a seat at the table. So let's talk about unionism and how it fits into the modern civil rights movement. Because we talked about, we talked about the walkout, which I think for any of us who were here is really like a seminal life moment. You know, it was incredible. Um, How, you know, how do how do we fit in now with what's going on now in the post walkout world and with what's happening, you know, across the country? Where do you see where do you see us? You know, I feel like this we're coming into a time where we're about to have and I would say the teacher walkouts across the country have been late large labor movements, but I think we're even coming upon another movement of just Social, social justice movements and just acts of solidarity all over. Uh-huh. And it's empowering uh-huh. and contagious. And um, I think it's so important and it needs to keep happening. It's sad that, again, it's, we shouldn't have to have these same fights and yeah. same battles that we've had for hundreds of years. But I think it's really important that young people are seeing this and they are the ones going out and um, really making a difference too. So, uh, yeah. Alicia, how do you, time. how do you view OEA as fitting in to what's happening right now? Like to build off of what Tori was saying? Well, racial and social justice is one of the OEA's four pillars of, um, progress that we're working on. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it's one of our, uh, it's one of our four main foci. Mm-hmm. We are, I just wanted to say, foci. you did, yeah. I know you did. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is, uh, it is something that we have internally and externally been working on to make sure that we are representing our members yeah. and our members are represented on our, um, on our boards, on right. our committees, on our, on, right. on everything. Right. And, and that we're continuing to, uh, to make sure that we're moving the needle toward a racial and social uh, justice world. Yeah. Um, because as we know, we have strength in numbers. And so yes. we are able to be, we can push these um, efforts and things that are important to all of our members. Um, and really that that's the foundation of what we do. So there's something that you just mentioned, Tori, that I want to touch on as well about um, younger folks and what's happening, um, what's happening with unions and other organizations. Um, I think millennials and younger, um, the perception of unions and, and the labor movement is, in my, in my opinion, different from, um, Gen X and older. Um, how do you, how do you get younger folks involved? How do you explain the importance of the labor movement, um, when it comes to younger people? I would agree with you. I think there's there's definitely a difference in the generations so far. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think really just getting the message across that we just we're organizing together. We have mm-hmm. strength in numbers. Um, that really that's how we make change. Um, and 
I think getting that message across and not and that we're willing to new, do new things, we're willing to try new things to reach more people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that and giving young people like myself a seat at the table yep. um, because before we we wouldn't encourage anyone to take our job, but now I think mm-hmm. that we're we're encouraging and we want people to see themselves in us and in leaders and make a difference. And so I think it's, I think the young labor movement has really made a difference. And and I think racial and social justice plays a part in that. Uh, I also think how important it is that we reach our, um, our members and those who could be members differently, Mm -hmm. virtually meet them the way they're, you know, they communicate. Mm -hmm. And uh, it may be different than the old newsletter uh, or the old calling tree, (laughs) you know? So, um, Mm -hmm. so, so as, as unions, we have to adapt to the needs of our, of of our members and those who are coming into the professions for sure. Mm -hmm. So, um, so along those same lines, we thought that maybe we would play a game today. Uh, uh, something a little, throw, throw a little something uh. to be Fallonish in and, um, and, uh, and see if you'll play along with us. Um, of course. Yeah. So this is Labor Day weekend, and we want to pr- promote what labor has done for, uh, what unions have done for, um, for years that have set workers up for success. Um, could be uh, state law, could Good. be federal law. Okay. I'm, I'm not going to give it okay. away. Okay. Could be anything. Just so we'll call it the you're welcome segment. Oh, and if we could play a little um, Moana. Uh, <laughs> yes. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. I, I, I just think of, of the rock singing that to yes. his little baby, and I that's just it. so precious. Anywho, uh, back on track. That's why I'm not the um, actual host because I <laughs> see a squirrel and I um, and you chase it and I chase it right. So we're gonna play a game. Uh, what has the union done for you? And um, and we're just gonna round robin, blurt out um, everything that we can think of. Okay. That the unions have done for labor over the centuries since the beginning of time. Oh my word. Okay. I'm ready. All right. Okay. We'll just t- so we're taking turns. So we'll okay. take turns. Okay. Alicia, you can go first. Tori, you can go and then and then I'll go. Okay. So okay. Alicia, Tori, Carrie. Alicia yes. Tori Carrie. That's yes. the way it's gonna go. Yes. All right. And and if Joe thinks of something, uh he will He's not interested. He'll just keep it to himself. He doesn't want to participate. Okay. He's non participatory. <laughs> he just works the magic with the technology and we are thankful for that. Yes. Um okay. Are you ready? Yes. Child labor laws. Oh, the weekend. Oh, the weekend. Uh, labor day. Weekend. 40-hour work week. Um, paid sick leave. Oh, good one. Uh, maternity leave? Health insurance. Eight-hour work day. What'd you say, Tori? Eight-hour work day. Oh, eight-hour work day. Eight-hour oh, um, minimum wage? Um, house bill 1017. Collective bargaining. And, and I'm out. Did we say health insurance? Oh, yeah. Oh, we did? Okay. I, oh. Oh, oh, that's a big one. See, yeah. I'm not good at this. It should be said again. But good. Health insurance, double. 
teacher, leader. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tori wins. Good job. Um, <laughs> Keep going because there are lots. Um, wage equality. Yes. Yes. Did we say that? I don't. We may have said that one too. No. No, we hadn't. Okay. Okay. Class okay. size limits. Oh, I mean say that's that an again. air quote. In theory. Uh, allegedly. Well, for, yeah. pre- for pre-K, I mean, it's still we, happening. We used to have <laughs> yeah. 40 plus. Well, sometimes we do still have 40 plus in a class. Hopefully not right now, yeah. face-to-face. We, it's a lot of things. There's way more. I have sta- No, I got stage fright. I can't do this. <laughs> yes, I can't do it. It's too much. <laughs> I can't. Oh, my gosh. Long story short, unions help everybody. They help workers everywhere. You know, what? I mean, like even outside of the unions. So whether it's education or, um, or electrical workers, electrical workers, bridge builders, pipe, yep, pipe pipelines. All right, that or was the really workers. hard. Yep. We're, yeah, we're all workers. That's right. And and right now we need to stand together. Mm-hmm. And whether you're OEA or AFT, uh, we are working together to make schools the best that they can be for our kids. And for our educators, uh, teachers, support staff, administration, everyone. So, but Tori, I am interested. Where where is your mom? Where does your mom teach? She is at Boulevard Academy in Edmond. Okay, fantastic. Awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, thank so you. She doesn't mind giving her no. shout out. <laughs> yeah, no, that's Hi, awesome. Mom. Shout out to mom. <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. Well. Thank you so much, Tori, for what you do for education for Oklahoma City Public Schools. Um, we appreciate your work, and thanks for taking the time to join us. And we're excited to work and move it forward with you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes, we have the common goal, so yes. I'm excited for this year. And now this morning we're joined by our guest, Leslie Osborne, who is our labor commissioner in Oklahoma. Good morning, Commissioner. Good morning. Um, thank you for joining us. So first of all, we're, we're taking the time ahead of Labor Day. Um, so talk to us about what is it that a labor commissioner does. For folks who might not know exactly what the labor department is or what your role is, um, you were elected two years ago. So two years in, explain to us what uh, what your role is. Okay. So in Oklahoma, you know, we have 11 statewide elected officials mm-hmm. and labor commissioners in charge of the Department of Labor. And it's a rather small agency compared to a lot of them. We have about 80 employees, mm-hmm. uh, get a pretty small appropriation. We're only about a third appropriation, a third fees from things that we do, and a third federal government dollars. Oh, wow. But we do a lot of really important things. And mm-hmm. when I came into the legislature, because I, you know, I served in the legislature 10 years right. before I ran for labor commissioner, I wouldn't have known what the Labor Department did, but I had been approached by a former Labor Commissioner to run a bill for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, start, we started a new division there for the compressed natural gas industry. And while I did that, I kind of took some time to find out what our Labor Department did. And it was really interesting to me. I assumed prior to that that they probably worked with like union, non-union type issues, mm-hmm. being labor they have absolutely nothing to do with that, which mm-hmm. was really interesting. And in general, I've learned that in Oklahoma, our union and non-union groups get along well. They work together well. And we don't have a lot of the problems that they do in other states with infighting like that. But what we do do there is mostly things to keep people safe, which isn't what you might expect. Mm-hmm. 
So as far as keeping the general public safe, we inspect every amusement park ride at huh. least once a year. And that's everything from a carnival that might set up in Chickasha to Whitewater uh, or the state what? fair. I did not uh, know that. 30, uh-huh, 31 states do that. And in the 31 states that have somebody that does a secondary check like that, the rates are so much lower on people not being injured. And, you know, every sure. summer we hear about a couple of unfortunate deaths right. somewhere like in a right. park. Another thing we do is we check every public public access elevator and escalator in the state once a year to make sure they're safe for the public. The only place we don't do it is the city of Oklahoma City kept their own jurisdiction to do that for anything in Oklahoma City. But everywhere else in the state, we check the elevators and escalators once a year. I, I genuinely we did not know this. I'm learning all kinds yeah, of things yeah. already. <laughs> And then the third thing was because of something that happened at a school. So do you all remember years ago, there was a horrifying explosion at Star Spencer School and some people Mm -hmm. died because a boiler exploded. Yes. And at that time, somebody said, well, my goodness, did we not have people out checking these huge commercial grade boilers and hot water heaters? And they figured out no one was. So we check every commercial grade hot water heater and boiler every other year. Then one of the other things we do for safety is uh, we have some programs for public, which includes schools. So it would be cities, schools, counties, and for private businesses, we will go out and do safety inspections to make sure that they're uh, doing everything they can to keep their employees safe. And so, for instance, if you're a little town like uh, Piedmont and you can't afford to have a safety consultant for your city workers, but you need to do some trenching projects. Trenching can be very dangerous. A lot of times people that, you know, the the dirt will come over and it'll land on people. What what we will do is if they call us, we will go send one of our OSHA trained employees out and have a one day training to make sure that all of them know how to do it safely and that they have the proper equipment. We even ran a bill a few years ago, uh, and it has just it doesn't have a lot of money in it, but it has enough to do if somebody, if there's a real small town that can't afford, like, safety harnesses, we can even purchase those for a small town at oh. no cost for them. So and, it's, and I don't think most people realize we do things like that. So it's really things to keep people safe. Yeah, it, it is about keeping the labor force safe I have no uh, idea. from exactly. all of these things. Yeah. So, and so, and one thing, if you've ever heard of a small business owner, sometimes you'll hear them say, well, OSHA dropped in, which is the Safety and Health Administration, mm-hmm. and they shut us down or they feed and find us because we, you know, they didn't think we were being safe. That's not us. That's the Federal Department of Labor. And mm-hmm. we don't have any jurisdiction with that. But we do have a program that any small business in the state, and that's 500 employees or below, they would like us to come out and do a walkthrough with them and set up a safety plan so that if OSHA was going to come, they would pass it. We do that for free as well, and they can get oh. a certification. And by doing that, we're kind of being preventative that yeah, you don't yes. have those federal government fines. And the biggest and most important thing, we're keeping people safe on the job. Yes. So that's really, except for one division I haven't mentioned, that's everything we do is these safety things. The other one is, is neat, and I think your people uh, that might be listening would like to hear about this, is in the uh, wage and hour division, we have a small division that does uh, child labor. So we have an employee, and he may have been around to some of your schools, 
that goes out and educates on child labor laws because it's different if you hire somebody under 18. You know, they mm. have to have more breaks. Right. They can't work during school hours. There's, ex- you know, there's exceptions for homeschooling and different things. We work with the State Department of Education on that, and we handle about half of it. They handle about half of it, and it's a very successful program. The other is our wage and hour division. This is the last one. And this is for people that have worked a job in Oklahoma and weren't paid for the wages they were owed. And a lot of Mm. times this will happen like somebody will come in on Friday and the boss comes in and says, hey, I really hate to tell you this, but we're closing the doors tomorrow. We just can't keep going. Your last check's in the mail. And then the last check never comes. We can actually litigate that for free for any Oklahoma citizen and get those back wages. So last year we brought in almost a million dollars for Oklahoma employees that had not been paid. It's at no cost. That is amazing. And so it's really neat. We do a lot of services that are at no cost that are very beneficial to citizens. And for an agency that gets such a small appropriation, I feel like in a small workforce of 80, I really feel like we do important things that are just kind of under the radar. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We didn't know uh, the extent to which the labor department uh, did all those things. I mean, that's, it's beyond just what our, our superficial knowledge is. Every time I get on an right. escalator now, I'm going to be like, Commissioner Osborne, thank you. <laughs> Every time <laughs> that I ride from floor now, to floor. I, 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 so an interesting fact is in every elevator, public access elevator, and that could be a two-story one in a church, that could be a you know 40-story one in Tulsa. Yeah. When we do inspect it, we put a new certificate inside, and those have my name on it okay. with my signature. Yeah, we've seen those. That's not something I set up, but they've just done it that way for years. So I can't tell you how many times since I've been elected that I've had kind of a wiseacre friend from some county in the state snap <laughs> this and say, oh, did you, oh, Osborne, did you come out with your tool belt and take yeah. this elevator? And that's when you say, <laughs> yes, obviously, you're yeah. welcome. Yeah, was it and safe? <laughs> As you need, you know, now I don't have my own tool belt, but I'm sure that somebody did fix it. So anyway, uh, so it's a nice job and I'm, in, I'm enjoying it very much because we just, we've got a lot of great state employees and I'm a huge advocate for state employees. Most yeah. of them are vastly underpaid. That includes teachers yeah, and they do the, the core hard work mm-hmm. that keeps the society and a fabric of society going. And we undervalue that a lot of times, but you'll see the people at the top making these huge salaries and these state employees that have been on the job for years just not making enough. So an initiative that I've tried is that every year I want to try to bump my average employee's pay so that we can get it closer to private sector by the time I term out. That's awesome. Yeah, that, that's, that's a great goal. Uh, and I'm sure the employees appreciate it. So we, we have been blown away by the different things that the labor commissioner does. Um, what is the most interesting thing that you think that you've done since you've become labor commissioner? So, well, now if we want to say interesting, so I think that I think that one thing I would say is when I came in, and like I said, there's 11 statewide elected officials, and about nine of us run an agency. The auditor runs the auditor's office, the mm-hmm. treasurer, the treasurer's office, insurance, those things. 
But a lot of times in the past, when an elected uh, person comes in, they sweep out all the upper administration, give them a two-week notice, and bring in their buddies. Mm-hmm. And I think it's horrifying. I'm a big advocate for having people in state agencies with institutional knowledge yes. and valuing that. Yes. And and so a lot of times we'll see, you know, and then, and how I always use the analogy is, you have to have understanding of why the trains run, how the trains run, the yes. historical perspective of the trains. Right. Because it, say, say even in education, if somebody came in and said, well, why haven't we worked on this funding formula? And you'd say, well, you know, we did that in 78, 83, and 94. Okay, if you bring in somebody new that doesn't want to know the institutional knowledge, and of course, I just made up those dates. Right. But my point is you can make the same, you know, history repeats itself. You make the same mistakes all over again, and you're not appreciating that institutional knowledge. Now, on the other hand, it's never a bad thing to have fresh ideas. Correct. So what I did is I came in, and I had met their general counsel. His name was Don Schooler, and he had been there through five commissioners about my age. Great guy. Uh, The former commissioner had introduced me to him a few times, Melissa Houston. And so... um, I worked with him and bumped him up to uh, chief of staff, but also is still general counsel. And I feel like he's got those years of what really works and what doesn't. And I've maybe got the fresh ideas and we try to make all our decisions together. And it's been so good because we didn't have a lack of morale that a lot of agencies have when a new agency head comes in of Hmm. when am I going to get the ax? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what um, what has it been like for you? You've mentioned a little bit. You you served um, in the legislature for ten years, out uh, representing Canadian and parts of Canadian and Grady County. Um, what was it like moving from being a member of the House of Representatives into being an agency head? It seems like well, I mean, it just seems like it would be a very different sort of day to day making the laws to administration. Right, and right. I mean, yeah. What's that been like? Well, it's been an interesting transition. So I'm going to tell you what I think are the pros and the cons. So um, I was a late bloomer in politics. And actually, late bloomers are my favorite ones to work with. And when I talk about that, a lot of times you'll see districts that elect a 21-year-old with a political science degree or a 30-year-old that worked for Inhofe and then he worked for Langford and then he worked for a chamber, but they've never been out in the real world. Right. Um, I had I had graduated from Oklahoma State with a degree in business and ran an ag sales business with heavy-duty trust cards for 22 years I owned. And I was tapped by a sitting state senator, Ron Justice, and he said, hey, we've got an open seat. And I'm like, good Lord, I've never even given a <laughs> you know. And he said, no, but you're very active. You, he said, whenever I see you at things, you always ask me, well, what's going on with this and that? He said, you seem informed. You seem interested. And I said, well, I am. And I would, you know, I want Oklahoma to be the best it can be. I want my children to stay here. Right. And um, so he talked me into running. And I'm really glad he did. It was totally out of my wheelhouse. I'm 45, never given a speech and uh, and absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. And But the ones that are there with the shiny political science degree sometimes are there to have their name in life. And sometimes when you get people that have been out in the real world selling insurance or truck parts or being a uh, CRNA or a teacher, they come at it from a different perspective. They really kind of, they they understand how the real world works, how you get paid, what works and doesn't work on keeping businesses here, and 
So anyway, I really enjoyed my 10 years. I got to chair judiciary when mm-hmm. we did workers' comp reform. I got to chair the um, Appropriations and Budget Committee. Uh-huh. Yes, we remember. Speaker walkout. Indeed. Yes. Indeed. Speaker walkout. So, and I morphed a lot over the years, and I'm the first one to say it. When I came in, I just didn't know much about politics. I was up on current issues, read the paper all the time. But I'm going to be totally honest. I'd listened to Rush Limbaugh on the radio, and I thought that you had to run government like a business, and you had to cut taxes, mm-hmm. and I just didn't know. Yeah. Now, that being said, I've always been somebody that was willing to admit when I made a mistake or learn and educate myself to morph to a different position if I found out I was wrong. Mm -hmm. And over the years, I've totally changed, never ran a social issue bill and thought we needed to better fund government, including teachers and everything else. So that was real interesting for me. And I loved those years of when I got to help push through some things like the better funding that we did that was beneficial to teachers. Mm-hmm. And um, I missed that part. I missed those big decisions, big ticket items that changed the state trajectory. Yeah. I don't miss the game. Yeah. So the game is what, because there's so much of that. And at my yeah. job, I can go in for a 40 hour week, make sure we're doing the 10 statutory functions we've been tasked with in the best manner possible with good morale for the employees. So there's pros and cons. Yeah. What, when you think back to um, the walkout and that time and talk about how you feel now about education, now that you're, you know, we're two years removed from that, you're doing something totally different. Um, What do you, what do you think about public education now? Well, I'm a huge advocate for public education. And the first thing I'll say is I don't think we should ever, ever, ever use public dollars for private schools. Uh, Thank you. And the the crowd goes wild. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I felt that way for years. I'm glad that we have private schools. I'm glad we have homeschools. I'm glad that people have options and choices. But different things fit different people. However, when we have limited resources, and my biggest love is studying how things are funded, we're 44th in the United States in overall tax collections. And that, and we're usually 45th to 50th in all out indicators. I just read something last week. We're 48th in, in, uh, in road and bridge quality. So a lot of times somebody will extrapolate a number out like, Hey, we're ninth now in structurally deficient bridges. And that's great. You know, we've really focused over on that and I'm so glad yeah. we did. But that still doesn't mean that we have good roads and bridges. Right. Because right. we still don't have enough funding and we're still 48th overall. Right. It just means that we don't have as many dangerous bridges. Thank goodness. And that's a great thing. Right. Sure. But as long as you're not willing to invest in yourself, you never change outcomes. Yes. So that's a rare thing for a Republican to say. And I have gotten a lot of pushback on being a quote-unquote bad Republican. And I say, no, I think when you talk about investing in Oklahoma's uh, structure of schools to all these other core services, rural health care and roads and bridges, infrastructure, you're not being a bad Republican. You're being a good Oklahoman. Right. And that's what, uh, I mean, that's what we talk about, that it's a nonpartisan issue. And just those things that you just listed, roads and bridges, education, those are nonpartisan things that everybody needs, you know, regardless of party. Exactly. And those are the things that make a fabric of society function. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about big businesses and trying to recruit them here, you have to be really careful. The last one we talked about was Tesla. 
And that's great that we're going out that, you know, that they're going out and trying these things. Mm -hmm. Most of those are the really big boys are not going to come unless you give them so many tax credits that you'll basically never make money on them. Mm. And uh, so you've got to find those smaller and medium manufacturers and things. Well, what we discover is they don't necessarily want to move here if they don't know Oklahoma. So sure. when we live here, we love it. We, we've sure. lived here our whole lives. There's no better place to be. We wish we funded things better, but it's a great state. But if you live in California, all you're looking at is the indicators of all those things I talked about, educational sure. outcomes and and uh, and how many kids go to college and how many go to career tech and how's the workforce. Mm-hmm. And uh, those things matter. And as long as we are going to fund ourselves at 44th and take great pride that we pay hardly any taxes, then we can't complain ever that we're not first in something. And uh, it only works as you ratchet up your investment. Now, hear me. I am not saying that I want to bump us up to top 15 in tax collections. Sure. not saying that at all. Sure. But I am saying that you get what you pay for. And I believe you've just preached <laughs> the sermon of the day. <laughs> but I, well, I'm going to keep preaching that as long as I'm an elected official, whether I get flack for it or not. Well, you know, what you just described is something that I say all the time, that education is a development issue. If you want people to bring their businesses here, they have to also bring their families here. And that includes their children. You know, you've got to, if you want people to come, they need to feel like they they can put their kids in a school system that they know is going to take care of their kids. And if we continuously underfund it, you know, when you, when you're coming from the outside and you don't know, you know, you might be like, well, why would I want to, why would I want my kids to go somewhere that's never funded correctly? I mean, it's a, to me, it's a development issue as well. When the school can't even get Wi-Fi or a computer. Right. And that's the conundrum that people just don't seem, they, they have a disconnect with that. And like I said, living here, my kids graduate, I have two children, they graduated from Amber Pocasset, the first, if you didn't know this, the first consolidated school in the state of Oklahoma. Yes, oh, I didn't know that. Uh, and so uh, they graduated from there. One had 33 in their class, one had 35, and they both graduated almost four points at OSU, which was much better than my grade point <laughs> here, so let's just go into that. As I always say, I was more of the George W. Bush type student. But you graduated. Uh, I enjoyed my four years on campus. Yes. And I was in all <laughs> kinds of organizations. And, you know, and it's like, hey, I can do all of this. But the funny thing, here's my kids at a school that hardly had AP, but they had the best teachers. Yep. They had people that loved what they did, and my kids ate it up, and they both are very successful in their careers. So, I think sometimes the indicators don't show how well we do do with educating kids, even though we don't invest. Right. On the other hand, there's so much more we need to do. My daughter right. is a uh, is a counselor at yes. uh, independent school at UConn. Woot, woot. She loves it. This is her second year as a counselor. That's awesome. She's got two masters and uh, in oh social gosh. work, but. Um, I think what I've noticed, especially with her there, is that there aren't enough counselors. You know, and yeah. counselors are tasked with doing everything from IEPs to test scores to all these things, and they sometimes don't have time to work with the kids that are bullied. Yes. And that's her heart. And we really need to make sure that every school has at least one counselor for each thing so that they can compartmentalize and do what they need to for the mental health of our kids, because that's a huge component. Or or those testing 
duties need to go to someone called a testing coordinator and let all the counselors do their, meet the yeah. needs of the oh. students that are in the school. I mean, you know, my, my, oh, my mom better. was, my mom was a counselor um, and she went back to teaching because she had to do all this administrative stuff and she didn't actually ever get to see the kids, you know, and that was why she yeah. was doing it to see the kids. It's a, it, counselors have a, a huge a huge burden, administrative burden put on them as well. So tell her to hang in there. We're yeah. working. We're working for her. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and I love the idea of the testing coordinators. And another thing I'll say a little bit tied to labor is she's a fourth through sixth grade one. But let's talk about the ones that get into the junior high and high school years. Yeah. If they don't have time one-on-one -on -one to be guiding some of these kids to a career tech path, which we should be doing more of because yes. we've got a fabulous career tech system that puts Absolutely. so many people out in, in very necessary and undervalued um, professions, everything from plumbers to carpenters to yes. electricians that can make good money. But if we don't have people pushing those career paths, a lot of times mom and dad are too busy. They're so busy trying to pay the bills and keep the mortgage paid. Sure. And they may not have had those educational opportunities. You sometimes have got to have that counselor that's there to be the champion for to guide kids in the right way and be that college, too, but also to careers that you can actually find a job in and and where yes. we have those shortages. And if, if counselors in high school and junior high are too busy to do that, then we have these kids that fall through the cracks. They yes. start out at college, mm -hmm. they drop out halfway through a semester, and they end up working at a convenience store. And there's nothing wrong. It's honorable work to work at a convenience store. But there's a better pathway for so many kids to provide for themselves and their families. And that worries me as well with the time uh, constraints for counselors. And I mean, we want all kids. I mean, that's that also is nonpartisan. We all want kids to reach their potential, whatever that looks like. Yes. And we have a, right. a, a phenomenal career tech system. Um, you know, wind energy, uh, people coming out of our career techs are so, yeah. I mean, they're snatched up for jobs. Aerospace. Um, I mean, all of it. Yeah. Well, no, it's great. And I'm, I'll give a shout out to Marcy Mack, who runs uh, Career Tech for Oklahoma. She does a fantastic job. She was appointed when I was in the legislature. And I've worked with her on several issues with apprenticeships and these kind of things now and really um, appreciate her. And of course, I, I always have to give a small plug on how things are funded. People say, well, how do we have such a great career tech system? It seems to be funded better. It's a mystery. And it's like, well, <laughs> at statehood, we did fund it different. Yep. None of us were there, but they actually get a percentage of ad valorem. So they're not totally reliant on the legislature like higher ed mm -hmm. and common ed. So mm -hmm. that's why they've been able to excel in many things that the others haven't from lack of resources. Right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Commissioner. We I feel like we've talked about all the things. Counselors, Elevators, everything. I Career just, tech. <laughs> like, I have so many ideas for the next Friday I know. Okra I know. That, uh, <laughs> thank you so much uh, for your time and for your service these past 12 years uh, to the state of Oklahoma. Hey, we appreciate you. I just appreciate being asked. I love education. And I'm just saying, since I gave you all my fun facts, and now you both have my cell phone number. If I get like a a, a text with an elevator that you know, <laughs> I want it from one of you, and you say you're in Godibo or somewhere, I will send you the thumbs up. Oh. All right, challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> nice to talk to you both. You Good too. Good to talk to you. Thank you, Commissioner.
And welcome to Alicia's Morning Announcements. So for the announcements today, I want to tell you a little bit about Labor Day. It is a day that pays tribute to the contributions and achievements of American workers. Created in, uh, in the 19th century and became a federal holiday, uh, signed into law by Grover Cleveland in 1894. Thanks, Grover. Yes, we, yes, we love Grover <laughs> from Sesame Street and... Uh, <laughs> the the fact that Grover Cleveland signed uh, Labor Day into a federal holiday, you know, but but the impetus for that uh, was because we were at the height of the Industrial Revolution and um, Americans were working twelve hour days. They were um, and and it wasn't just adults; it was kids. It was. Can, safety conditions. Yes. Uh, I mean, all those things, but also I'm pretty sure that teachers right now are also working 12-hour days. Uh, yes. Or longer. So. And uh, seven days a week. Right. And barely eking out a living. But don't just worry. Just like during the Industrial We've Revolution. made lots of progress. No, <laughs> yes. I'm just kidding. No, but you know I saying. mean, that, that is that is the reality of an yeah. educator right now. Right. And so... Um, you know, with all of these factors, with the unsafe working conditions, with insufficient access to um, sanitation yeah. and breaks and um, and all of that, uh, that is the uprising of union activity in, in America. And some of it came uh, with violence, mm-hmm. like the Haymarket riot, mm-hmm. and, um, and some of it uh, came through, you know, people striking and, and, and walking off the job for better conditions. And so, um, so we know that, uh, because of labor unions, um, and the history that we have, when we work together for collective action, things become better. Yes. And that is what the Oklahoma Education Association is about. Collective action, collectively working together to make our public schools the best that they can be for um, for educators. Uh, whether you are a, a teacher, a nurse, a paraprofessional, a bus driver, um, one of our technicians, carpenters, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't matter what your job title. When we work together to make schools the best for uh, for kids. Mm-hmm. We are making them good for all of us. Right. Uh, because our working conditions are a kid's learning conditions. Right. And, and that is important. And when we work together, we have higher wages. We have safer um, working conditions. We yes. have more healthy conditions. And, um, and I, you know, we have a reduction in inequality, mm-hmm. whether it's pay inequality for racial or, or social issues. Yes. Um, that's, That's what unionism does. Yep. Well, today we have a special, in honor of Labor Day, we have a special Labor Day guest. So excited about this. Uh, OEA member Aaron Baker, who we visited with on the pod before. Yes, bus, um, the busking teacher. The busking teacher, teacher um, is giving a special Labor Day uh, song performance for us today. So let's listen to that. Joe Hill was a labor organizer, musician, and rank-and-file member of the Industrial Workers of the World. He was executed in 1915 for a murder that it was widely believed he did not commit. This song is his legacy, Joe Hill. I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night 
alive as you or me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake, Joe says I to him, am standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I ain't dead. Says Joe, but I ain't dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, Joe says what they forgot to kill, went on to organize, went on to organize. Joe Hill ain't dead, he says to me, Joe Hill ain't never die. Where working men are out on strike, Joe Hill is at their side. Joe Hill is at their side. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, says he, you'll find Joe Hill. Says he, you'll find Joe Hill. I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night, alive as you or me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. Awesome. Thank you so much to Aaron Baker. Uh, we also want to say thank you to Tori Shoecraft of Oklahoma City AFT, Labor Commissioner Leslie Osborne uh, for joining us. And of course, thank you for listening to Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernall Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review Fried Okra on Apple Podcasts. You can also contact us at podcast at gmail.com. We hope that you'll join us again next week. Until then, keep fighting the good fight for public education in Oklahoma. And happy Labor Day. Happy Labor Day.